This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to Career Talk, a new podcast series by The Straits Times podcast channel, Your Money and Career. At Career Talk, we help you take charge of your own career and make your ambition pay off. I'm your host, Tae Hong Yi. What do the otter on the Trace Together app and the USB thumb drive have in common? They are both homegrown design icons. And in this episode, we cast our eye on Singapore's design workforce of almost 70,000 who craft these designs around us. The sector is set to grow at 2.5% a year through to 2030, according to a two-year study released in March by the Design Singapore Council, the Republic's National Agency for Design. More than half the employers polled for the study want to hire more designers. So now is the time to talk about what working in design entails and the future prospects of a design career. Helping me with this in the studio is Mr. Eugene Chin, Acting Director for Talent Development at the Design Singapore Council, or DSG for short. Also joining us virtually is Ms. Anusia Balin, a design researcher currently studying for a Master of Arts in Service Design on a DSG scholarship at the Royal College of Art in London. Eugene will be walking us through the study and the pathways available for budding designers, while Anusha joins us bright and early from London to share her experience as a design researcher. If I may start with you, Anusha, perhaps you could share with us what you did for work, what keeps you going in design, and what made you decide to pursue further studies? When I talk about what I do for work, whenever people ask me what I do, it's I always say I work as a design researcher. And I often tell them that I'm actually paid to be a capable auntie, like a busybody. What I do is to find out how users interact with a product or service. I conduct a lot of user interviews to like uncover deeper human needs so that I can help develop products which will make lives better. So uh, what I did was to contextualize ideas to the actual person who will have to use it eventually. So perhaps you could share with us some of the projects you worked on before you embarked on further studies. So continuing, for example, back when I was working as a design researcher in MOM, one project that stuck with me was when my team was asked to improve rest areas for town council cleaners. So when we studied the rest areas, we were initially looking at it from an infrastructure point of view. But a deeper study using design research methodology revealed that the cleaners were not using rest areas, not because the space was shabby. Mainly, they were not using the rest areas because the work that they were doing did not have a culture of rest, which was the actual problem to design for. So that was something that really, really stuck to me to always know what is the actual problem you're solving for and to go deeper into the very, very primal human need before you design anything. So what keeps you going in design? Because you've done this for quite a long time. Yes, actually, I've been doing this for 10 years. And if I might share about how I started, it was something that my professor Hans Tan from NUS had told us. He said design agencies back then when I graduated, he said already had enough designers, but it was the non-design industries back then that needed designers. So... For me, that was a big draw and and keeps me going because then when I was young and I was interested in design, it was very arts and craft. And I felt that doing design gave this art a purpose. There was a problem solving aspect to this job. 
and, and that's what keeping me going. What made you decide to pursue further studies then? Because I understand you have been, you know, work, as you said, you've worked for about 10 years. So why have you decided to pursue further studies in specifically service design right now? So for me, doing service design, because it was a very natural flow from design research, having been trained in industrial design. So in industrial design, even though I'm always very engaged with the user, I know what their problem is, and I go deeper into them, service design is a study of how they are affected systemically. What is the wicked problem here? So in the cleaner example, when I was talking about they don't have a culture of rest, then service design helps me understand, okay, who is influencing this? Who else do I have to empathize with beyond the user? So that was all of these things that were missing, I felt, in the years of doing design research. And now that I'm training in service design, I feel the training is filling those gaps for me. And till now, I've always been very like, you know, user first and empathizing with user. Another thing that drew me to service design is to understand how to empathize with decision makers, your bosses, the client, the paymaster, and all of these are so important to actualize your final design. That's a very vivid and useful description of what you're doing. Thank you so much for that, Anusha. Just to wrap up your introduction for us, what's your favorite piece of design from Singapore? So for me, it's it's really the good morning towel. I know different parts of Asia have their own relationship to this iconic towel, but I see it as a very dear piece of Singaporean design because it is accessible to so many people. It has been interpreted by plenty of designers and it is no longer just a towel. To me, it's a conduit to memories of having a classic Singaporean breakfast. So what about you, Eugene? What's your favourite piece of Singapore design? Right, for me, definitely you have to be the Singapore Orchid series currency. Yeah, this is the first set of bank notes after Singapore's independence. In fact, you know, I've been collecting notes uh, as a child and I was always intrigued by the intricacy of the visual design from the depiction of the Vanda Miss Joachim, Singapore's national flower to other variants of the locally breed orchids. And the notes is actually a manifestation of design and tech in the 1960s because the notes were also distinctly designed to include security features like watermark, metallic thread, prevent counterfeiting, etc. Clearly, a lot of hard work and talent from the design sector you know, or from design practitioners went into these notes. So I think it's now a good time for us to hear about the outlook for the wider sector as it stands currently. So perhaps, Eugene, could I invite you to share with us the impetus for the two-year study that Design Singapore conducted and what were some key takeaways that we can expect DSG to act on from the study? Before we dive into the specifics, yes, allow me to share some thoughts about this National Design Industry and Manpower Study that we have conducted since 2017. It's really uh, to help understand and establish manpower and skills gaps in the design sector and the utilization of design skills for the wider economy. Specifically for talent development, which is the division I'm heading, we look at nurturing a design-minded workforce for both designers and non-designers so that Singapore can thrive in this ever-evolving digital economy. So other than providing support to nurture designers like Anusia, who is also our DSG scholar, we also conduct this National Design Industry and Manpower Study. It's in its third edition. The study explores future opportunities for the design workforce and assesses the current design freelancing landscape. The insights from the study will actually help us to formulate appropriate strategies and recommendations for design education in a larger design ecosystem. For example, we work closely with partners from the public and private sectors 
and the institutes of higher learning, and by that are the polytechnics, universities, and the Institute of Technical Education, to promote and boost development of the design workforce. So going into some insights, you know, uh, previously uh, Anusha was also alluding to the fact that there are plenty of opportunities now beyond the main design workforce, right? In fact, one of the key insights show that the size of the workforce is expected to continue in the next decade, right? With a two is to one ratio of designers working in the non-design sectors versus the design sectors. And this is unsurprising because the, the wider economy is increasingly aware of the value of design for developing products and services, as well as driving transformation and growth. This includes industries like advanced manufacturing and trade, financial services, healthcare, infocom technology, and even media, you know, to name a few. And this trend of seeing designers, many designers being gainfully employed in the non-design sectors is also being witnessed in many other advanced economies such as the UK and the US. For example, designers can now undertake the role of a product manager in a technology firm and an experienced designer in the social enterprise or healthcare sector. There is also an increasing number of non-design organizations employing full-time in-house design teams. Even as we see many non-design sectors hiring designers, there remains plenty of opportunities for design professionals to continue their design career within the design discipline. In short, actually, it doesn't matter how we cut the pie. There's demand and value for designers to do good work for a range of market needs out there. I mean, to sum up this whole conversation on this point, the overall trends and outlook for design professionals are healthy and they have the free reign to figure out their own comparative advantage, whether you know by being a design premier in a small bespoke design studio or as part of a larger innovation and transformation team in a non-design company. At the end of the day, it's more important that designers keep ahead in terms of their skill sets. Once they do so, they'll be able to find platforms to demonstrate value wherever they go. Yep. So I just wanted to understand. So, you know, given all these results, were there kind of specific results that DSG found surprising? Or are there any results that are specifically going to influence any initiatives that DSG has in the pipeline right now? What is uncovered in the study, I won't say surprising, but it definitely are areas that will influence and impact the way how the design sector and designers work and to be high value contributors are in three areas. First, the digital economy or digital future. Design has always been at the frontier of technological advancement and the workforce must evolve with technology. Next, sustainable future or the sustainable economy. Addressing the climate crisis is now a global imperative. Governments and businesses are racing to transit towards the circular economy. Designers again have a huge role to play as gatekeepers for a product life cycle and can shape decisions at a strategic level. For example, Singaporean designer Genevieve Ang, who is also a recipient of DSG's Good Design Research Grant, is working on repurposing glass waste into sustainable glazes for ceramic tiles with Terraso, a waste management company. Finally, the caring economy or caring future, designers can and must put their skills to shape a healthy post-pandemic recovery, particularly in high-touch industries, such as education, healthcare, and the social sectors. For example, Lekka Architects and the Care Lab designed Oasis at Outram, a first-of-its-kind hospice within Outram Community Hospital, 
to give patients the autonomy to choose from a wide range of activities and programs. These areas which transcend singular sectors are promising because they are high growth areas. They are also aligned to Singapore's national agenda with existing national strategy plans in place such as the Singapore Green Plan 2030 as well as the industry digital plans. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's get back to our conversation with Ms. Anusia Balin and Mr. Eugene Chin on the state of Singapore's design sector and the opportunities on offer. Thanks yeah. for that, uh, Eugene. So then, are there any schemes or initiatives that were shaped by the results of the study and how did the results of the study or the past editions of the study shape these initiatives by DSG? So from, from this study, which draws views from over 300 different firms across Singapore's economy, yes, you know, there is strong signal that, you know, whether you're a design student or a design professional, you must constantly evolve and upgrade in both your design craft as well as your range of skill sets. So, I mean, if you are a professional or student listening in, you might take note that the skills that employers find essential in addition to the design craft, you know, are areas such as analytical thinking, creativity, design communication, and business strategy. In responding to your question about how are we doing it, for example, Design Singapore works with Workforce Singapore and training providers to develop new career options for designers and non-designers through the career conversion programs, such as into emerging roles like service design, UI UX design. We are also beginning to introduce design thinking into the wider ecosystem, starting from children as young as seven years old in the primary education. So we launched the Learning by Design initiative last year and invited Singapore-based creative and design agencies, organizations, and education providers to design and deliver creative school-based programs rooted in design thinking. We also have the Design Education Advisory Committee, Singapore's first national-level design education committee comprising leaders from the institutes of higher learning, the industry, as well as policymakers who advocate design as a life skill and capability through different offerings and opportunities for use to learn and practice design skills beyond the classroom setting. For instance, one of the collaboration involves four institutes of higher learning jointly organizing a design leadership challenge where over 50 participants comprising students and educators from these four schools, you know, benefited in the five-day bootcamp through exchanges of new ideas, networking, and acquiring new design thinking skills. So Eugene, another interesting thing I noticed from the study is the size of Singapore's freelance designer workforce. Now, is it a good thing to have so many freelance designers and is there any need to shift more of these freelancers into full-time roles? So, so Hong Yi, you are right to say that actually we do have a substantial number of freelancers. In fact, our manpower study estimates that there are over 6,000 design freelancers who do not hold full-time employment in the workforce. And this is about 10% of the full-time design workforce in 2021. But in my view, right, I believe that the design sector thrives where there's a healthy combination of full-timers and freelancers who are both able to tap into the market opportunities and complement each other to meet the needs of businesses. In fact, most of the design freelancers we spoke to chose to be freelancers because they want autonomy over their projects and they want to attain work-life balance. Furthermore, a good number of freelancers have had some years of full-time working experiences 
and may have transited into freelancing after those years. They value the skill sets that they have acquired and are still sought by employers. So as it stands, we will let the market forces be. So there are ample opportunities in both the design and non-design sectors. And when the time comes, if the freelancers intend to transit into a full-time role, we will have the necessary support or we already have the necessary support for them to return to the workforce. Thanks a lot for that, Eugene. Adusha, let's turn to you again. So I've heard a lot about what changes that the sector is undergoing through right now. In your experience, what do you think is the biggest barrier to success for aspiring designers in Singapore and how can we overcome it? Okay, so um, this is a very personal answer. At first, I think we should reckon with our ideas of what success is. Because what I observe in Singapore, it can seem like there are just a few versions of success. You know, what we see online, what is modeled in our families or taught in school. But from experience, I think there is value in asking ourselves what success means to us, giving ourselves time to think about the personal trade-offs we are likely going to make before pursuing it. To sum up, the toughest barrier is really confronting how limited our ideas of success is. But how to overcome it and, and what I've done is just to talk to a diverse group of people, embracing a life of experimentation, building a support network for yourself. Like all of these have helped define ideas of success for myself. And, and that is how I think like aspiring designers can also pursue this road. So did you have an interest in design all along or was this interest in design something that was nurtured in you along the way? Were there any specific, inc- specific incidents that you kind of kindled that interest in design that brought you this far? I, I don't really have like a specific moment. Like there was no like shine from above kind of thing. I feel like looking back at my childhood, I've always been interested in arts and crafts. And, you know, every school holiday, I'll buy Play-Doh, watercolor, those kind of things. I enjoyed making art during school. So it was only... After A-levels and when I had to choose, you know, at university, what is the course you're going to do? At that point, industrial design just seemed like a natural choice for me because I was like, oh, I get to make some art and I also get to help people along the way. So you always ask yourself, why, why, why? And, and when I wasn't hitting these ideas of success that my friends or my family members had, so I had to like go do design research on myself, like why, why, what's my deeper need? What am I actually looking for? And that kind of helped me derive and come to, okay, so this is what life is. So in that way, being a design practitioner helped me a lot in shaping my idea of success because I could use these tools to also design my life. So then are there any misconceptions that you have heard about what working in design is like? Oh, I've, <laughs> I've heard plenty, but I'll share two. The first one is that design is still view as sort of a fix it at the end. So for example, someone may already have an idea that they want to implement and will look for a designer to help them deliver it, usually in the shortest amount of time possible. To me, that's the key difference between using a template versus hiring a designer. Because designers are going to ask why are they designing something, how a user will engage with it. And when design researchers like myself come in, we will also want to understand the impact of the idea empathize with the user, where does it fit in market? And why is the world a better place with this idea materialized? So the, the big misconception to, to wrap up is that design can happen at the end as a cookie cutter solution, like Eugene has mentioned earlier. The second misconception is that design is an industry for introverts. It's the job to do if you want to be on your own and not work with people. So although a lot of my peers and even myself, we are introverts, 
we have wisened up to the idea that engaging with people, and it can be a lot of people, is a crucial part of our practice. You have to keep talking about your work, sharing it with people, and promoting yourself. There are quiet times, but designers do work with a lot of people. Thanks a lot, Anusha, for that. So bearing what has been mentioned in mind, Eugene, are there any skill and talent development gaps that we are observing among design practitioners in Singapore? And what is DSG doing to help pluck these gaps? Instead of looking from the gaps perspective, maybe how I address it is by looking at how our manpower study has reviewed where the growth opportunities and job demands are. And broadly, you know, there is a fast-growing demand for designers in business and innovations function in areas such as, let's say, strategies, business designer, design researcher, as well as design facilitator. Giving a bit of uh, uh, context to that, you know, the strategies of business designers are those that are excellent at integrating their design skill sets with broader business goals, and they know how to communicate the importance of design to business products and services with even non-design trained colleagues. We also need design researchers who are experts at exploring and understanding human needs and desires during product development to identify opportunities to build experiences beyond what Anusha mentioned, cookie cutter solutions. And lastly, you know, there's this group of design facilitators who are practitioners who advocate design thinking in their companies. They can transform the overall and long-term agility and capability of companies by encouraging teams to become more creative ideate widely and test out solutions rapidly. That said, it is also important to look at it a bit broader or more holistic. While I have been talking about from the role perspective, it is also important to look from the workforce angle where actually whether you are a designer or non-designer, it is quite important to be equipped with design sensibilities. And design is not just for designers in that sense. In fact, design is about solving problems, is about enabling innovation. And today, creative problem-solving capabilities have become core skills for all professionals. Hence, design must be seen not only as a critical professional skill for designers, but also as a vital life skill for the future workforce to navigate the new digital world. Okay, so then uh, the next question I have then, Eugene, is that you have outlined certain categories of design-related roles that are likely to see increased demand. So what can aspiring talent do to equip themselves to take on these roles that are in demand? Okay, the advice I will give is a case where designers or design students who are graduating, you have to be curious. You have to, as I said earlier, have this continuous mindset of learning. You have to be proactive in looking out for opportunities and not be contented with the kind of knowledge and skills you have now. In terms of opportunities, Design Singapore do offer a suite of programs out there, right? To aid you in pursuing some of these emerging roles. I mentioned about career conversion programs, which is really a structured program where we pair you with companies who are looking for such emerging and e-demand job roles, and you are upskilled both through classroom as well as on the job to be able to take on some of these roles. There are also opportunities for you to take on continuing education and training courses out there for plug and play areas. If you want to deep dive into certain topics within the digital, sustainable, or even the caring skill sets that I mentioned. Thanks a lot, Eugene. So just to wrap it up, Anusha, what is your advice for someone who wishes to work in design? I think, okay, so my advice would be 
for the person to know why they are going into design. Does this, um, are you going in because there's this idea of design or it's a in-demand job or you want to achieve something with design? So once you know those things, then the path to going into a design career will be clearer for you. So that would be my advice. So then what about you? So when you first entered the sector, right, Anusha, so I understand that among your earliest projects was yeah. Library at Orchard. It's, it's a gorgeous design. I, I go there a lot. Uh, so, so, you know, having that as one of your early projects, what was your frame of mind starting out and having this project, you know, in front of you to work together with on with your peers? So yes, you're right. I actually started my design career at Library at Orchard. Beautiful library, but that's a biased sentiment. Uh, but I started my career there because of something that my tutor Hans Tan had said. So he told us to go in to work in industries that we were passionate about, look for problems out there that design can solve. So that is how I kind of shaped my career because it doesn't matter what my design training was, whether it was industrial design then or service design now, but design has always empowered me to be like used as a means to an end. So I use it as a language to help address something or discover something that I want to do or I'm passionate about. So that's been my journey. Yes, I think even though that is your journey, it is also a very deep and kind of wise guidance for some people who might aspire to be in design. So with that, um, that is the end of our, our session. Thank you so much to the both of us for speaking to us. That was Anusha Balan. Thanks for showing us what working in design means and how to develop purpose as a designer. And thanks Eugene Chin from DSG for your insights into the wider sector too. Thank you, Hongyi, for inviting Anusha and myself. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, that's a wrap for this second episode of Career Talk. I'm Tae Hongyi. If you resonate with the points raised, do share this podcast episode with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you about your favourite local designers and designs, so drop me a note at my email address in the podcast show notes. You can also get more career and personal finance tips in the latest edition of ST's Hit Start newsletter. We have all the links in our show notes. I'll be back on the second Monday of every month with Career Talk. Thanks for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.